Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Erica. And I'm Sarah. So friends, we're we're kind of starting to round out our series that we've been in for several weeks now talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, we've been looking at the list out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the various gifts that Paul mentions there. Uh, we've looked at things like prophecy and discernment of spirits, healings and miracles. Uh, so where are we going today, Sarah, with our gifts? So today we are going to be talking about the last two gifts that Paul mentions in this list, which is speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues, which, um, so the first thing I always think of when I hear speaking in tongues is that documentary that came out in the early 2000s, Jesus Camp. Mm -hmm. I don't know if either of you ever saw that, but it was taking a look at, um, fundamental evangelism in like the Bible Belt of the U.S. And uh, there was several demonstrations in this movie of children um, speaking in tongues in court worship. And which it like, it was very just chaotic because there would be multiple kids speaking at the same time. They would just be making like just speaking and like waving their arms around and yelling and like speaking in tongues and um you could tell that like other kids were very moved by this but like it was just so chaotic because didn't you couldn't tell what anybody was saying um and let alone like pinpointing like one kid but that that's the first thing that pops into my brain when I hear speaking in tongues and I'm guessing that I am not alone because in mainstream Protestant Christianity and possibly even Roman Catholicism um, we don't do a whole lot of speaking in tongues like we don't really talk about it in worship we don't experience it in worship so it kind of just makes a lot of people myself kind of included uncomfortable because we don't talk about it and we don't experience it um so erica i know you've done a lot more studying on spiritual gifts so could you kind of introduce what speaking in tongues actually is so I, I will share with you, Sarah, my first experience with this was very much like the Jesus camp kind of experience. Um, I wasn't a child, I was an adult and I was surrounded by other adults, but there were several of them, um, you know, praying in tongues in a corporate worship setting. And it honestly made me very uncomfortable <laughs> when I first, because I think anybody that first encounters it, if you don't know what you're experiencing, um, it can be uncomfortable. But speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues there's a couple ways uh, to look at this. There's a couple ways that it can happen. Um, there's the prayer language. Um, and that's most often what people, when they say that they have the gift of speaking in tongues, that's what they have. It's a, it's a language. Um, sometimes it might sound like a human language. Sometimes it doesn't sound like a human language, but it's just something that they use to edify their, their prayer time with God. Um, there is also... Um, you know, speaking in a corporate setting and typically, um, well, honestly, you should, if, especially if you're doing it like from a pulpit sense, you should have an interpreter, whether that be yourself or somebody else who has the gift of interpretation. 
because this is a gift that should not be used where somebody is just speaking out loud to a congregation or to a gathering and there's no way for the gathering to understand them. You know, um, the Jesus camp thing, in my experience, that was just a bunch of folks that were gathered together using their gift just to pray out loud, um, but they weren't trying to share a word with somebody. Then there's also the idea that you can have this gift, like say, the example I, I tend to use, I go to, I go to Seoul, South Korea, and all of a sudden I can fluently speak Korean. I have never studied Korean in my life. I know a couple of Koreans from seminary, but never really did anything with their language. And so it's just a supernatural ability to suddenly speak a language that you've never studied. I read an article about a guy who could do that. Um, this, uh, this man is autistic mm. and one of the abilities or like ways that his brain manifests is that if he goes to a culture and immerses himself for 24 hours, he can then speak the language. Like, and he demonstrated it for this, um, for whoever wrote the article by going to Iceland and within 24 hours could speak Icelandic. Now I'm kind of questioning about what the, what the language is in Iceland, but um, yeah, within 24 hours, he could speak the language. And so that kind of take on this speaking in tongues is heavily rooted in like what happens on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, mm -hmm. where there the disciples of Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, manifests among them and they can speak in languages that other people immediately recognize because they are their languages. And that sort of the turning point of that whole story is all those folks from that long list of nations that um, the narrator gives us all say, hey, how do we hear and understand in our own languages? Uh, so that like that's one possible take on what's going on when the the biblical writers talk about speaking in tongues. And then there are other takes on tongues that are non-human languages that are like mm -hmm. whether you th think of them as as spiritual languages or ecstatic speech or in, a, in one delightful phrasing of Paul's later in the in, if I speak in the language of angels <laughs> um, that like there is. Yeah. So I, I, there, there's those possibilities as well. OK. So maybe we sketch out what these might be or the three different ways you might uh, interpret what it means to speak in tongues. Wh what would these be for? Like we've talked before that all these gifts are never just to draw attention to yourself, but are for the building up of the community. So how would each of these possibilities function as being useful for the sake of others? So the prayer language is not necessarily useful for the sake of others. It's to build one's own personal relationship with God. Okay. Um, and I, if I could interrupt Erica, yeah. um, because I think that this is rooted, especially in like Romans eight, which I know for those who like do the lectionary and preaching was just recently um, read during the day of Pentecost. Um, but in Romans 8, it says, in verse 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for mm -hmm. we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very spirit yep. intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, 
knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And I would argue that this isn't necessary, that, that this could be used corporately, mm-hmm. not like, not like praying corporately, but like building up with the community, not just mm-hmm. your personal relationship with God, because uh, in our prayer life, we don't pray for just ourselves, right? We yep. pray for the world. And so while, you know, my next door neighbor might not know that I have the gift of tongues in my prayer life. Um, like you might not know that I, I don't, but like for argument's sake, um, you know, if I did, he might not know that and that's perfectly okay, but he might still know that I do pray for the world. That that's a helpful way of framing it that what at first looks like mm-hmm. it's a private experience is still about building up the the good of the community, the good of others, uh, even if the person doesn't know it at the time. That's helpful. Well, and since we often, as somebody who has the gift, um, I often don't know what I'm saying when the gift comes out. So yeah, I could be praying for you know a neighbor or a parishioner or for the world. Um, and just trusting the spirit's going to interpret that however the spirit needs to, and God will hear it and answer it. So never thought of it that way. So thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. Maybe then in a similar way, when you're talking about the possibility of ecstatic speech in a public setting, uh, and again, we may need to have a there be dragons disclaimer and a little bit about ways that can get misused, but like maybe part of the, what's the value in having somebody speak in in words or sounds that nobody else understands and then having somebody else translate or interpret it. Um, It might well be that part of, part of the, the way that, that hits the room is it makes it clear. This wasn't somebody's personal agenda. If uh, look, I don't even know what I was saying. And somebody else interprets Mm -hmm. that may be a way of saying, look, this, this is, this is from God rather than this is from, somebody has their pet agenda or something like that. Again, the, the, the cynic in me wants to say, sure, but you can also fake that too. But okay, I can get it how in the first century, if part of the question is, how do we know that, um, that God's behind you know, the, the, the message that so-and-so might bring? Well, okay, if, if they're saying, I, I'm not in control of what I'm saying, and someone else comes and interprets, and they go, yeah, that, that, yeah, that is what the Spirit was saying. That may be a way of letting other people know this isn't someone bringing their own agenda um, but that this is the spirit who's moving that that speech to happen. And yet in my mind, that that feels like this is a moment for, for me, um, resident casual skeptic sometime to be the one to say, OK, there there need to be, um, I guess, uh, uh, the same kind of guardrails we've talked mm-hmm. about in this series earlier, that just like there are people who um God has used to bring healing to other people and use it well and appropriately. And whose response is, this isn't about me. This is, this is all God. So I'm glad you're healed and thanks be to God. And then there's other folks who sort of put on that sort of fake show of it and it's all staged and it's all, you know, whatever that like, uh, because there have been abuses of this kind of um, spiritual gift, it's, it's, it's easy for folks to feel like, how do, how would I tell when this is real and when this is a show or almost like the, the, the scene you described in the documentary, Sarah, um, like 
at what point are people just sort of copying what they hear other people doing rather than this is really the Holy Spirit, but sort of peer pressure has told me I should do this thing that other people are doing. And that that's that's a difficult question because I, I if, if you're the kid at Jesus camp and everybody else is doing things and you're like, oh, I guess I don't have the Holy Spirit or, oh, wait, if I just start making the, you know, like it, how, how would you discern what's come from the spirit and what's come from peer pressure? That That's hard if you're an impressionable 13 year old kid uh, trying to fit in and trying to figure out where is the Holy Spirit. Or younger, because in Jesus camp, 13 was looked to be old. Oh, OK. Like, this was like elementary age kids. And especially when what they're hearing from the pulpit is if the spirit isn't speaking through you, then you're not saved. Right. right and right. you're going to go to, you know, H E double hockey sticks. Like, yeah. like it, it's very, it's, it, the documentary was, was very disturbing. Um, mm-hmm. As somebody who watched it as, you know, I, I think I watched it when it was on Netflix and I had just given birth and it was very, like very much, like watching it as a new mom and going, oh my goodness, like this is maybe not the best way to introduce religion to children. Yeah. Well, and I think that helps that helps add in a piece that like sometimes part of the problem is a sloppiness in in our theology about spiritual gifts. I think we tried at the beginning of this series to to be clear about, but like spiritual gifts are not necessarily the signs that you are saved or whatever like it's tempting to make it in and, and if you're really saved if you're really one of god's people you'll have this and that's not how paul talks about it paul sort of assumes that god gives this, the gifts to everybody but not that like if you don't have this one you're not really in the club but yeah sometimes that's where bad theology and bad preaching goes where it's well if you're not speaking in tongues you're clearly not a real child of god you haven't been really spiritually born again and therefore you're a reprobate you know bound for hell um, that that seems to be really, really, really bad spiritual and theological malpractice from the first Corinthians passage that we've been reading our conversations in, because Paul never makes a move to say, if you don't have this particular gift, you're not one of you know Jesus' people. You're not a, a part of uh, the family of God or, or however you might describe it. But sometimes that's how we either explicitly or implicitly communicate things. Mm-hmm. So there's a good place to mark there be dragons there. <laughs> Whatever your theology of tongues is, don't make the move of saying if 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 you don't have it, you 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 must not be going to heaven. So does that mean that the denominations and there's still denominations today who say that that they lean towards the cult side of Christianity? I, I might Or say- do we not want to go quite that or we just want to warn there be dragons. I, I might want to say that's a group that could really use someone to raise up the discernment of spirits gifts who can say like, <laughs> that That doesn't pass the smell test. So I, they, those are people God needs to send with that other gift of like, hey, let's reevaluate our theology. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> I, I, I find myself, and throughout this series, I found myself like, called to have a certain intellectual humility that that is a is a a, a challenge um of okay you can you can you can have the outlook and the perspective that you have um and yet also you always need to leave wiggle room for but god is bigger than however my theology mm-hmm. lays out and so even if um i my my personal experience and my theological perspective 
uh, places certain emphasis on certain gifts being more immediately useful than others. Um, I have to reserve the right, or I have to let God reserve the right that God's allowed to be bigger than my categories or my systematic theology. Um, and that doesn't mean get rid of systematic theology. It's unimportant to know why you believe what you believe, but it also doesn't mean God has to fit in that box. And that's, that's a, a, a difficult tension to live in. And I think with a lot of these gifts, you know, folks over the years, especially after the first couple centuries of the church, have kind of been like, well, I've never experienced this. I've never seen this. And so it doesn't happen anymore. Um, and, and so they kind of have done that. They, they've thrown it out and said, well, no, this doesn't. Ha-. And this is one of the biggest ones. Right. You know, because more often than not, I have never personally been in a situation where somebody from a pulpit, from a stage, from from some sort of place of authority has spoken in tongues and someone else has it interpreted. You know, I've, I've been in charismatic services where a bunch of people were just praying in the spirit and in tongues all together, just individually, but all at the same time, you know, I've done it personally on my own. Um, but, you know, since we don't, because it's so often a personal thing um, that you just kind of do by yourself in your own prayer closet, people don't think it exists anymore. Right. So I think for me, my struggle is the speaking in tongues in a corporate worship where there isn't anybody to interpret. Mm-hmm. Um, like I can, you know, because when, you, when you're speaking in tongues in your own private prayer life, the interpreter is the Holy Spirit. But when you are doing it corporately, like how is that building up and edifying the community? if there isn't anybody there to interpret. And it seems to me that that's again why in 1 Corinthians, these are paired that just like we've seen with some of the other gifts in the list that they seem to have a natural um, uh, partner <laughs> that the that, uh, healings and miracles went side by side and prophecy and discernment experience went side by side that I think, I think Paul, as he's writing these out, puts these side by side that it doesn't make any sense to have somebody um, blurting out things in ecstatic speech without somebody there to be able to interpret that it, it, my suspicion is one day in glory, when we're sitting around a table, drinking beer with Paul, that he'll say, yeah, I always assumed that, that, that where God raised up one genuinely, the other will be raised up as well. And something doesn't pass the smell test. If you've got that speaking without the corporate, uh, this is, this is what's just happened here. But Sarah, are you trying to like address like a Jesus camp kind of you know, where everybody is just kind of doing it together, not necessarily somebody from, you know, up above doing it to the, you know, saying it to the congregation, but everybody's kind of doing it collectively. Is Uh, that what you're asking about? No, I think both. Like if you're going to be speaking in tongues in a public worship space, whether that is as a participant in the pew and there's like multiple people speaking in tongues or as the leader, worship leader standing in the pulpit speaking in tongues, Either way, there needs to be interpreter. Well, yeah, I mean, from the pulpit, that's what Paul's talking about here. I think um, I did a mission trip in Paraguay uh, back in 2008. And there was, there was one time we were gathered. It was kind of, I forget if it was like a true worship uh, service or just a bunch of us were gathered together in a house somewhere. And it was tradition for the folks that we were gathered with when it came time for a corporate prayer that everybody would just pray out loud together, you know, everybody has their own prayers. Uh, I know the Koreans do that as well. And so 
I see when when the charismatics gather together and they have a time of corporate prayer and everybody just starts speaking in their own prayer language, it's kind of the same thing. We're like, we're all going to pray our individual prayers, but we're going to do it together because God being God can sort everything out in the end. Um, okay, then I think we should draw a distinction of speaking in tongues. Are you praying or are you preaching? And yeah, there are times where it's clearly prayer and there's times where it's presented as I'm bringing a word from God and I'm, it feels more like preaching and there definitely interpretation is necessary. Otherwise you're left at the, the, a, a parallel version of the trouble of the medieval church where everything happened in Latin and nobody knew what was happening. That mm-hmm. if, if we can recognize that something, something went awry there, if only, only the priest knew what was being said because only they spoke Latin, then similarly, if there's ecstatic speech and it's framed as um, proclamation to the people, there needs to be interpretation. Otherwise, this is, we've, we've missed the point of what's happening here. Yeah, because yeah, like when you're praying, I think it makes a lot of sense that you would be praying in your own language. Um, because like, I think corporate prayer also like has a tendency to get a little preachy, like where you're pretending to talk to God, but in actuality, you're talking to the people and like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shouldn't you be doing this thing? Like, no prayer, whether you're doing it privately or corporately, you should be talking to God, not the other people listening in. Um, you know, it's similarly for like Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, um, Sunday of Pentecost. Um, I've seen it where the, uh, the congregation is invited to pray the Lord's Prayer in their own first language, right? Like, so that way, when you're saying the Lord's Prayer, it's, you know, you're going to hear some English, but you're also going to hear some Spanish, and you're going to hear some, maybe some French or some German. And um, it, it is very confusing, but God can make sense of it. Um, similarly, like, if you are praying, and you're going around, and everybody gets to say a petition, um it, it again makes sense that you would speak in whatever language you're the most comfortable in so that if you are, you know, speak, if your language is English and you're in a like worship service that's in Spanish and you kind of struggle with Spanish. Yeah. Talk to God in English. If you know, or if the other way around, if you're Spanish and you're in an English congregation, speak to God in Spanish. Um, that raises in my mind, Sarah, a really important question that I, I don't know always gets asked, even completely separate from the, the matter of uh, tongues and ecstatic speech. And that's the who is different? Who, who is this part of a, of a worship gathering for? And I, I, I guess that what I mean by that question is there are some times where I think we treat like, like you said, that we use corporate prayer as like second sermon time. And that feels like that's, that's unfair. Cause no prayer should be aimed at this is a conversation with God, not my chance to get an other scolding of the people for what I think they should do framed as a prayer. Um, and on the other hand, I think sometimes we, um, we treat other parts of liturgy like God needs this to happen rather than know this is for our formation. And like that, that's a, a sticky wicket. Like when in our tradition, we have prayers of uh, confession and forgiveness. 
I think that's one of those places where honestly we need this. It's not that God needs these words to be spoken or else the forgiveness isn't dispensed out. And that there have been dangers in Christian history where we've misunderstood that and where it's been treated like people don't need to know what's happening right now. This is just a matter of getting the contract signed with God so that God dispenses another round of forgiveness to us. But when we're not clear on who is this conversation for, what, what is the purpose of these words, whether it's in a language everybody knows or a language that is only spiritually given when we're not clear about that there's there be more dragons there that's where that's how the dragons get in when we're not clear mm-hmm. about uh what what's what's the purpose of this um and i think maybe a lot of the concerns that i have about ways i've seen um uh tongues misused or or felt like they were being turned into a spectacle rather than some some means of connecting with god is when there was confusion about that when something that should have been private prayer moment became look at the spectacle of how our celebrity preacher does this thing on on command um or times where there was like you say sarah uh someone speaking assuming it was like uh outward like like proclamation like like a sermon or preaching but nobody there to interpret those are places where i think we've lost we've got we've gotten ourselves confused about who is this moment for what is this conversation aimed at can I pose a, a, a complicated question? We've talked before about how we might discern in ourselves or others that you have this gift, you know, other gifts, I mean, when we've looked at other gifts. And we've talked about ways that it's helpful to encourage in others where you see gifts to help call them out and say, hey, boy, you do a really good job at this. Have you ever considered, you know, that's a valuable thing. My guess is that to some degree, speaking in tongues, whether discernible languages like Korean or Spanish or um, unknown languages, uh, that it would it would be obvious to manifest because you catch yourself speaking in other languages. Um, but it's that encouraging piece. Like, how, how do you do that in a way that doesn't end up with that uh, Jesus camp moment of, like, the, where it's just peer pressure or where there's the open question, is this the peer pressure of other people are doing this, so I have to do it too or else I'm going to hell? Um, how, how, what would it look like to rightly encourage or to to create um, an environment where this kind of gift could be nurtured where it is given without it falling into the peer pressure of you have to copy what your you know neighbor or your friend next door is doing? Typically, I've seen this in, in kind of how I got my gift in this was there was, for lack of a better term, an altar call where the question was posed would would people like to receive the gift of speaking in tongues and so folks could go up and folks that had this gift would pray over them and ask that god would impart the gift on them and sometimes tongues would come out in in that from from the person praying and eventually typically the person that wants the gift it starts to manifest itself in them Hmm. Uh, Personally, felt no pressure to to go and receive. I mean, other people decided not to. Mm-hmm. That's fine. It's just something that, like, this is something that I want to explore mm-hmm. and see if it might be a gifting that God wants for me to have. And so I went forward. That raises in my mind a question that I'm surprised we haven't asked much, or at least that I don't know that we've asked it in quite this way, um, is with all of these spiritual gifts, are these things that any of us have control in asking for or getting or these things that are given. I think earlier when we, when we framed this, this whole discussion parallel to like other kinds of talents that to some degree talents are, it, 
you, you got it from your birth. It's it's in your DNA or it's in, it was, it, it, there, there's a certain amount that's nature versus nurture, but there are things you can do to bring a talent or a gift to the fore. But I, I wonder whether um, what, what each of you have as thoughts about, like, are any of these gifts things that are a fair game? Just ask and see what happens if God gives you the gift of prophecy, uh, if that's the gift that you're after, or, or if that's a, if I don't get it, I got, I'm, I'm stuck with, I don't have it. What, what, what do you think about that? Are, are all these gifts open to that kind of ask for it and see if you get it or not? Or is it, you're stuck with what you get? I think you can always ask. <laughs> there it is. Um, there. That, and, and I don't, I don't want to say that there's no harm asking because um, I was once told like an illustration of be careful what you pray for. Um, and the example used in that one is be careful when you pray for patience, because right. it's not like God is going to just give you patience, but rather God is going to give you situations to teach you patience. Right. right, right. And so, you know, that might look like giving you a son who constantly tests your patience right like that's how god gives you patience and so um and i don't know how true that is but it, it definitely drilled home to me the the concept of be careful what you pray for because god just might give it to you yeah mm-hmm. and uh, maybe this is more about my personal piety than any systematic theology of it but i guess like for me i i've my 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 personal wiring is more of a sort of a I'm not even sure that I would know what the right thing for me to have is. So to me, it feels kind of dangerous to at me. Maybe I read the monkey's paw too many times that like when you ask for something, you're sure you want, it turns out to be terrible. So trust other people to know what you need. Um, and to be honest, a lot more of my prayer life is less like, dear God, give me this and this and this and this, even spiritual things. And more like, okay, God, I don't know what I'm going to do here. So you got to help me figure out and you got to give me what I need. Cause I couldn't find my way out of a paper bag. Um, and so I'm, I'm a lot, I'm a lot more personally, um, nervous about like, if I'm, if I'm supposed to be asking for stuff, even spiritual gifts, I'm going to get that wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to say, God, I'm sure you've appointed me to be a prophet. Give me the gift of prophecy. And maybe God's smacking me upside the head going, you know what? There's enough loud blowhards around. Maybe you need to have the gift of humility, um, or whatever that I, I I'm nervous about the idea, honestly, of start asking for stuff and see what God gives you. Um, I'm more of a, my kids learned this phrase in preschool from, I think some of the cranky aides, they, they came home saying you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. <laughs> I couldn't believe that, that preschool teachers had taught this even jokingly, but like there's times when I'm like, okay, that that's my spirituality. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Well, and like, I think with a lot of the spiritual gifts to me, it sounds like a lot of work. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of responsibility because you should be using your spiritual gifts to, you know, edify the community and to glorify God. And I, it just, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> well, to me, like, I guess I, when, when I think about how the stories often go in the scriptures, it seems like more often it's somebody says, Hey, you've been raised up for this moment. You've got this gift or this ability, this opportunity, use it. Not that someone goes, I got too much free time on my hands. God, give me this gift because then I'll have, and then I'll, you know, do that work. But more like 
it's 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 i know we've used the spider-man analogy before but it's you know with great power comes great responsibility and with great spiritual gifts then yeah comes there's an obligation how do i use this well and wisely for the sake of others so it almost feels to me like asking for more spiritual gifts feels more like you're not it's it's like when jesus says to the disciples you don't know what you're asking you you don't get or you're not prepared to drink the cup that you're asking for there pal um and then he goes on to say you're you're gonna have to endure it anyhow but you don't even know what you're asking right now and I think for me, it's also being grateful that God has given these spiritual gifts to those who God has chosen. Yeah. Like, um, you know, like Erica having the gift of speaking in tongues in her personal prayer life. Like, I am so grateful for you, Erica, that you have that gift and I don't. But <laughs> that. But part of that, though, is because you're willing to talk about it. And it's in my relationship with you that I've become a lot more comfortable with the idea of speaking in tongues in personal prayer life. I'm not sure I'm ready to like pray for it and ask for it and be all like, hey, God, give me some of that. Um, Because again, it does seem like a lot of responsibility and I am content with my prayer life as scattered and broken as it is it is you know I'm, I'm content with where it is at the moment um but I am glad that God has lifted people up in my life and in my community that that's okay right now you know I don't feel like that is a hole missing in my life of like oh gosh I think that there needs to be more people with this spiritual gift because no there there are people in our lives who have this spiritual gift and, and I'll be honest like I have other friends that have the gift too and probably use it more frequently than I do honestly it often comes to me like in, in a worship service not one I'm leading but like one that I'm a participant in um maybe during a a worship song or something like I stop singing and then all, all of a sudden it just kind of comes over me real quiet hushed tones so not even the person standing next to me necessarily knows what I'm doing um it's it's not a regular part of my prayer life maybe it should be more so um but it's been kind of an on and off gift for years for me but isn't there somewhere where Paul talks about asking for gifts I don't know. The, the, the reason the reason this is percolating in my mind is at the end of the list we've now come through in First Corinthians, the very end of that passage before he moved on to that delightful body and many members image is First Corinthians twelve eleven. All these gifts are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually just as the spirit chooses. And that's where he ends that conversation, which to me sounds much more like. You get what you get. You don't throw a fit. But that may be more my 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 bias seeing that or hearing that. Um, but like th- that, that's how that conversation ends, at least. I'm going to argue that that's not where the conversation ends. Okay. Because, yes, that's where it says. But then the next is, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And then it goes on to talk about how the body is these many different moving parts. Right. But 
how that verse 12 starts of for just as the body is one, it, it kind of says to me that that's a continuation of the conversation that just as we are all in the body of Christ, we don't all have the same function in the body of Christ. We are all in it together. And so again, we don't have to all have the same spiritual gifts that we are all working together for the good of the community and for the glory of God. Exactly. And like, in, at least in, in my mind, following that train of thought, this goes back to how we started the, the series um, that if, if all this, if this, this whole train of thought goes from spiritual gifts to we're all part of this body, the rest of that, that body section is whatever you are in the body you've got a function and he even makes the point and if an eye says because i don't have that other gift i'm not important no you're you're whatever you're supposed to be so if you're an eye great be happy to be an eye don't try and be a foot or a hand or an elbow or something like that like to me the 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 metaphor level logic of that is more of a whatever your gifts are your gifts are and own what you are rather than pretending to be something else that you like that that's how that metaphor sounds to me by the time he gets around to saying if an eye wants to be a foot tough noogies you're an eye <laughs> so i just looked it up in first corinthians 14 so after the body after the love section in 13 um we have 14 starting in verse one it says pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts and especially that you might prophesy for those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to god for nobody understands them since they are speaking the mysteries in the spirit on the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. I, I, I so think maybe he is kind of encouraging us to. Yeah, and, and what I guess what's interesting to me, maybe this is part of the tradition which I grew up that when we read First Corinthians 14 and you go along and he sort of downplays tongues, like it's sort of like, man, Paul, you're, 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 you're belittle. And like, cause he goes on to say, like, mm -hmm. if you've got tongues, you're talking, you know, nobody else can understand. How is that helpful? But if you're, if you're prophesying, you're telling things other people can understand, like that feels like he's ragging on that gift that he just earlier said is a really important one. Um, <laughs> And it, again, like that, that it shouldn't surprise me that in a mainline Protestant tradition that isn't big on the charismatic gifts, that that was the interpretation that was given to that passage of like, yeah, mm -hmm. see, even Paul thinks tongues are stupid. And like, well, that's not really what he says, but that's kind of how I heard it growing up. But see, even Paul says tongues aren't important. He says preaching. Well, what do you know? A tradition that emphasizes preaching would say that that would, would, would take that interpretation. Isn't that convenient? <laughs> We all read the Bible through our own lenses. Right, right. right. Which, mm -hmm. again, like, comes back to me, like, why that gift we talked about earlier about the discernment, about, like, being able to see, like, nah, you know, check your own uh, biases. or ch that That's an important needed gift, especially in an era like ours, that ability to be correctable and to see past our presumptions and, and the filters we put on. Man, we've gone everywhere in this conversation today. <laughs> um. Even though we've come to the end of the list that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians, we do want to have at least one more conversation in this series. So we're going to invite you back next time as we talk a little bit more about what any of this means for how we live out our lives. And maybe are there other things that should go on our list of spiritual gifts that aren't in 1 Corinthians 12, but that we do need to have conversation about. So join us next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. Yeah. Bye. Bye.